GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Believe it. GEICO could save you. GEICO. Believe it. GEICO could save you 15% or more on car insurance. GEICO could save you. GEICO could save you. GEICO could save you. Believe it. GEICO. Right. But a talking gecko. Why? I'll tell you why. Because people trust advertising icons. Some bloke tells you to go to geico.com and you're like, really? And just do my UB. But a gecko, he can be trusted. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. my time, I find my peers and I spending our time watching our own hopes and fears, oftentimes on LED screens, either alone in a bed or in a room full of people. Law & Order Special Victims Unit, WWE Professional Wrestling, and The Simpsons are some of the longest-running television shows in history. Because we're all afraid of being raped and killed, we all wish we had perfect bodies and the confidence to strut into a ring in front of adoring fans... And we all think that we're smarter than Homer Simpson and the residents of Springfield. Of course, the point of all modern media is the profit, ads. So much so that whole animals and symbols have been redefined. I say the word gecko, and half of my listeners in 2019 hear... Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Because media, like most other things in my lifetime, revolve around profits and making money. There is no morning news without the orange juice commercials, no CNN without Viagra, no Tucker Carlson without my pillow. There's a beautiful balance between art and commercialism, and by beautiful I mean disgusting. What is it that they say about the marriage between art and commercialism? That is because the moment you receive funding for art, you sold out. The moment you paid to associate yourself to art, you sold out. The moment you sell one painting, you sell out. So why not just multiply that as many times as you possibly can and then be able to continue to do the thing that you're so passionate about for your entire life continuously and consistently. This is how it really, really started. Exactly. You need to fund art and fund media, which gives many people control of what messages are said and how people are portrayed, which is then left up to interpretation by a diverse public who do not all receive the same message. Media is as complicated as any other issue because it's a blanket term that covers essentially a billion things. This podcast is media. The promotional items that I create are media. The platforms that are distributed on can be considered media. Billboards, bus signs, Bill Burr, burn notice, parking notices, parking signs, signs in parks, stories about Rosa Parks, shows starring Randall Park, South Park, Southpaw, Paw Patrol, and Pornhub. It's all media. 
In the age of social media, we are all media distributors, which in a way makes none of us media distributors. Because without a clear line between creators and consumers, we've basically ripped a hole in the fabric of society. Now, a white trash child can go on Dr. Phil and scream, Catch me outside, how about that? Catch you outside? The next thing you know, she's got a rap album and a Snapchat TV show, whatever the fuck that is. And Dr. Phil isn't even a real doctor. What is wrong with the world? I studied media and art. I've worked at radio stations, helped produce the morning news, wrote sports articles, published my own book. And now you're listening to me right now on a podcast thing. On some real hippie stoner shit, we've made a mess. The media landscape is a mess. The Nielsen company is a farce. Advertising is inherently worthless in a world where companies like Facebook can create a master database tracking our personalities, and the death of television is upon us. None of the current business models in media even make sense, and to be honest, they never have. That's why artists are always fucked, publishers always close up shop, the music gets ruined, and everyone needs more ad revenue to keep up with their projections. Technology and media will forever be hand in hand paper, to books, to vinyl, to tape, to CD, to MP3. I've got some real fun guests for today's show. For an international perspective, I wrote to a good friend of mine. I'm Adam Stevens. What do you do in media, Adam? I'm an entertainment journalist and producer based in London, England. Just because this episode's all about media, I'm going to pull back the curtain real quick and tell you guys that um, I didn't interview Adam. We're not in the same room. We haven't been in the same room since 2016 when he was my boss during an internship I did in London for a production company that essentially would um, host press junkets for feature films that came out. And it's Adam's job to interview actors and directors and be on camera because uh, Adam is obscenely handsome. Uh, go, go to his Twitter, at AdAmbulance. He's a violently handsome man. So while you're hearing his perfect London accent, also keep in mind that he is obscenely handsome. And uh, yeah, and he's a great guy, and I'm happy to have him be part of the show. So Adam, could you tell us uh, some differences between U.S. media and U.K. media? Well, it's libel laws. 100% it's libel laws. In the U.S., you guys can print anything in your newspapers. It's crazy. If I had a dollar for every time someone printed and distributed a story about a celebrity alien sex romp, I'd have enough money to start my own paper and I'd solely publish stories about celebrity alien sex romps because that's hilarious. And I'd never get sued because Madonna would have to prove that she's never had sex with an alien. And who could ever really do that? I can't even do that. No one has an alibi for every second of their life. In the UK, it's the opposite, right? If you can't prove it, you can't print it without risking some legal backlash that will just rob you of your house and your business. My lecturer, I had a journalism lecturer back in London who who did that. He printed a story that turned out later to be true, like later to be proven, but at the time, he couldn't prove it well enough for the courts to be satisfied, and he lost, I think he used to be the editor of a paper, and he lost everything, his house, everything. Wow, Adam, thanks for the international perspective. Could you tell us some stories? Now, I've been working in the media for eight years, and with my background, I should have a hundred stories about being a media journalist. If I really thought about it, I probably do, but the overarching plot of my career is that if you're not useful in the media you just you just die people hear about you know why hollywood won't cast this actor anymore it's because they're not useful anymore you know uh 
Actors and directors love me while I'm willing to talk about the film and agents and PRs love me while I'm willing to talk about, you know, the talent, the actors, the directors. But, you know, being part of the media is really just being a cog in a giant machine designed to sell you stuff. Um, oh, also, a lot of actors are gay and they're not telling you. And I can't tell you because I'm in the UK and I don't want to get sued. God damn, you're good, Adam. You mentioned the first answer in your second answer. That's media training. You are a professional. Now tell me a little bit about what the future is going to look like for uh, media in 2100. Well, print's dying now, and it's probably completely like stone cold dead in 2100. Like even e-ink will be dead in 2100. I'm not that mad about it. I I think anyone who's not evolving should probably die. It's the way of nature, and it's the way of business, it's the way of society and media. If if anything, if that bums you out, just think it's going to kill off a huge profit base for Rupert Murdoch, who is, in my opinion, one of the most evil men of modern times. And he'll still be alive, he'll be like a brain in a jar on a shelf next to Walt Disney at that point. In, in 2100, the only news source left is the Huffington Post, and every article will be about Blue Ivy Carter's kids, for fuck's sake. I really hope I'm wrong. Adam, 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 thank you for talking with us. You are truly missed, and I bet listeners can tell just by your answers why we are friends. The cynicism. I love it. We're going to keep the show moving. My next guest was interviewed uh, about a year ago in 2018, maybe even late 2017, while I was an account executive for a radio station, being a part of the problem, attempting to sell advertisements, and I'm only mentioning that because it comes up in conversation. However, this guest is professor and producer Sherry Hope Culver. She is a mentor of mine. She's one of the kindest people I've met throughout academia. She's a friend. We talked about her career in media and the changes she expects in the future. I am Sherry Hope Culver. One interesting fact. Hmm. Or defining defining features prevalent to who you are. Well, well, I guess it could be either one. Is that I definitely define myself as a camp person. I went to overnight camp. I did. I I went to. My family ran an overnight camp. I went to that from the time I was six months old till I was seventeen. Then I didn't go to camp for I was, I was in college and working. And then I tried to figure out a way to get back to camp. I ended up volunteering at a camp for kids with AIDS for 15 years from 95 to, what, 2003 or something. That's... And then when Zoe was old enough to go to camp herself, I went back to overnight camp and worked at an overnight camp for a couple of years. I did not know that. Yeah. What, what is your How track? did I spend all that time with you in London not tell you I'm a well, camp no, person? No, no. That expa- explains why you do stuff <laughs> explains like, like London. Like, that explains why that's not an issue for you. Correct. Because that pretty much is a camp. That's right. That's how I actually, the first time that I did study abroad, that's what I wrote in my application was, I have been a camp counselor for years and years and years. I can make this more than just an educational opportunity for students. I know what it means to take people together and do things fun and, you know. You don't, yeah, I'm surprised. made that pitch. I'm surprised that when you say your name, you don't drop the professor immediately. I, that's an, I don't self-identify as a professor. I identify as a TV person. I understand that. I very much understand It's that. It's always weird to me, actually, that my husband and I sit across the table from each other and we look at each other and we're like, wait, you work in higher ed now? <laughs> you work in higher ed? Because we met doing television and that's sort of, 
that's where my base is. Like I'm a pro- in my heart of hearts, I am a producer. I always feel uncomfortable uh, giving myself any label of any. Yeah, I'm an account executive now. That's right. You're going to have a business card with I that on it. Account executive. <laughs> Never in my life would I have ever. Uh, it's I can't. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, so uh, our uh, topic for this episode is uh, media, mm-hmm. uh, entertainment, communication, etc. On a very broad spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've seen the development of communications and media go from from the 1900s from the turn of that century from being radio and writing mainly Mm -hmm. to the turn of the most recent century television and then slowly the internet i am the one hosting this podcast and i am hosting this podcast admitting that i have no idea what the future is holding yeah but as someone who studies um communications and media what do you think the future holds for uh, the field of media and communications. You don't have to go as far as 2100 yet. Yeah, that's good. But, but we'll push you there. <laughs> I, you know, I think one of the joys of the future is that it is just never what you think it's going to be. And you can, and you have to, right? Look at, look at best practice and look at past history and use that to inform what you're thinking going forward. But whether it's like projecting my weekend or projecting to 2100, it never is what you necessarily <laughs> think it's going to be. I guess at the moment, there's so much talk about virtual reality and augmented reality and, you know, cyberboard <laughs> things taking over that I, I, you know, that seems like that will for sure. Well, that's the present to some extent, but it'll definitely be the, some of the future. But what happens after that? Like, that's already started. So sort of what even happens after that? I don't know. I, I, I expected to hear a lot of, like, VR, AR yeah. stuff. But we're there. Yeah, we are we're, there. It's there right. now. Right. So I thought that was the future. Um, It's – I've been uh, – when when you read about the future, you're, you're told about chips a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, the chips and in the Embedding the chips in your, in your body. But and... I, that doesn't stick with me. I, mean, I don't think like that. When you, I, when you when you look at your your laptop, or your phone, are you thinking of the chip? No, <laughs> no. But but I do. I have to say, I somebody shared with me a video um, recently. We were talking about Black Mirror, mm-hmm. right? And out of that, she was saying, "Have you seen this new video?" And send it to me. And it basically is a ring. That you, so this exists now. It's a ring, and the ring has a chip in it, of course, and the can it, it reads all sorts of things. So the video is like somebody walking up to their laptop and they just their their ring just touches the laptop and that turns it on. Or they walk to the door that's locked and they touch the ring and it opens the door. And they walk to the ATM and touch the ring and the, their account opens up. And then um I'm trying to think of some of the other scenes that were in it. But sort of so maybe the next step from this whole chip thing is how small can the chip be and where can the chip be embedded well, so that it's because I think I do think we will have chips inside us. I would never. I I think a lot of people would though. What is the benefit? What no what well, what what would the necessary <laughs> benefit have to be for Sherry to get a chip in her? I think that's the wrong question. Because I think that people do a whole lot of stuff in this world that has nothing to do with Benefit it has to do with fun, new, different. Fun, new, and fun. different are benefits. <laughs> it fit those, are, those, benefits. Are, those are benefits. I don't know. That's the world I live I in. Think, I think that some people would just think it's cool that, that I can. 
cute. So funny look on your face. I think a lot of people just think that um, the smaller the technology and the more it can it can uh, anticipate what I want or what I want to do. There, there is some percentage of people that think that's very cool. I think there's another percentage of people that that maybe, you know, when I think about the future, another possibility for the future is that the arc of, um, you know, of of virtual everything and chips hits its peak, and then we push, we pull back a little, and we become more connected to the physical, social interactions that we that we need to. See, I, I just could never imagine getting a chip, ever. I was actually going to ask you about that. That was my next question because there's there's uh, a large factory in Wisconsin where mm-hmm. they started. If, if you're an employee yeah. at this oh, factory, yes, I heard about that. Yes. you get this chip yes. and it's connected to your bank account so you can buy stuff right. in the office, which, come on. that That is... For them to be the first people I heard about it, and it's so you can use the vending machine. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> the vending machine was what pushed like the innovation. I need that <laughs> clock in, clock out, direct deposit, and the vending machine. Yeah. First off, what is this horrible factory? <laughs> that is, they're like our vending machine what? sales have done, and and they can't they can't even swipe their cards anymore. Just yeah. scan. But I think there are people. So there's there are some percentage of people that probably feel it's very invasive, and and it's too much possibility for you to um, invade my private whatever, fill in the blank. But I think there's probably another percentage of people that think, um, why not? Why not? I hate that. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> well, I'm not doing anything. They can look through my stuff. Right. I hate uh, that. Do you think that that's just people who don't understand what can happen if your private it's information not, is out? It's not. It's it, that The people that make that argument, mm-hmm. uh, my dad's one of those. I mean, my dad's one of those. He's got kids and a, and a mortgage. If they're going to check up, the last thing he cares about is surveillance. Like, he's got stuff to do. He's like, <laughs> I think that that argument is just like, the, why are you even talking to me about this? I, well, they don't want to hear it. I think then who doesn't want to hear it? The When people make the argument of, um, I'm not doing anything. They can look through my stuff. Oh, oh, oh. I think that's the lazy man's argument. Yes, I, I would agree with you. Because I think that there, even though I would consider myself to be a good person who tries to do good and be nice to others, if somebody wanted to and took the time to go through everything I did in the last week, probably, I'm sure they could find something that I would be embarrassed if they showed others or... Angry or upset or frustrated, maybe not illegal, but but it could fit a lot of other categories. Exactly, yeah. and I as no, as a good person who messes up constantly, <laughs> um, I, I don't want them looking through my stuff yeah. either. I already trust the internet too much. Well, it's hard not to. I, I was mean, hacked I by. I was hacked. Um, I was hacked in which ones? I was. I think I got. I was gotten in Yahoo, really, Twitter, and Equifax. Wow, <laughs> good thing I have and the Equifax one. Yeah, I've got wow. nothing. If I yeah. have nothing. Well, they know everything about you now anyway, leave, so you might as well put the chip in at this yeah. point. I leave my car unlocked and I, 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 there's nothing in there. Take it. Yeah, I, it's 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 difficult. I think we it, we live in a time where it is increasingly difficult to be the voice of someone who doesn't want the added convenience that comes with knowledgeable technology. Mm. It's, it's hard to be that person because the convenience of it is so overpowering and the the information that that Google or Amazon or whoever else is able to um, just create little easy moments in our lives because they have data about me, it, it's I think it's increasingly hard to make the connection between that 
and what we used to think of as invasion of privacy. See, I there's a lot of things that have happened with the growth of media. One is the echo chamber. Mm-hmm. Everyone is stuck in an echo chamber. I had to get out of my own. I built one and I had to get out of it. I, on Twitter, I just start following people I hate, right. like stuff like that. Right. Because just so I could see other perspectives, I had to rethink everything because I felt so dumb when we were, the presidential election was mm-hmm. what made me feel the dumbest. I had no idea Donald Trump was going to be the president until Wisconsin. Well, you can't feel dumb about that. Until Wisconsin. No, half Ohio. the country felt that. I know, I know, I know, I know. But it, my brother... My brother has been had said it. He's he hate he didn't care about either of them. He's like me. He's he is not like me. He's a libertarian, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm an independent. But he also did not like either candidate. I did not like either candidate. I was so sure Hillary would win. He was so sure Donald Trump would win. Really? I asked why Donald Trump's going to win. He goes, "You live in Philadelphia. You are the kind of person that would go to London. You are so <laughs> disconnected from Donald Trump's base right. that." I'm surprised. I'm not surprised that there's not many people in your life that are interested in him, but there are people all over the country, and that's right. what uh, I drove cross country. I mentioned mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I see it. <laughs> see, I, I well, see it. <laughs> when we, we were in London with the class at the time of the election, and um, and my husband was home at the time, and I would talk to him at night, and he kept saying to me, "Don't worry, don't worry." You know, I, I was the Hillary supporter and, and I wanted her to win. And I said, he kept saying, don't worry, don't worry, she will win. And I kept saying, you are really, you're, you need to open your mind because I'm in a country that thought that they would never vote for Brexit. And they did. So I'm living in a place where people woke up and went, oh my God, you know, Brexit happened. The same thing could happen in the United States. And up until the night that I went to sleep and on the, on election evening, he said, I will text you during the night with the results. And I woke up the next morning and I had no text. And I was like, oh, this is a bad sign. I stayed up. I know. I remember. <laughs> I, was, I was so tired. I walked into my internship. They were like, do you watch it? I was like, yeah. And they were like, go home. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I couldn't do it. But that was a huge, I mean, that's. Well, I guess that, I mean, does that really tell us anything about the future, right? That remains to be seen. Oh, I'm so scared. At this point, I'm what so it means next. I'm so scared for the next election. I think mm-hmm. he's going to win. I think he's going to win again. Well, if we don't, if, if someone, if there's not a strong alternate, right? I think there are a whole lot of people who feel that they they begrudgingly voted for Trump mm-hmm. because they didn't like the option, the, the candidate who was the option. If there's a strong other candidate, I think that person could win. But if there's not a really viable strong other person, then I believe he will win again. It's, it hurts. And right now, we're not looking too good. Uh, well, I mean, we've got some time. But... We, it's Right now, it's like that six-month period where someone's got to show up. Right. Yeah, someone's yeah. going to have to show up in the next six months yeah. and then really start attacking. Yeah. Um, so, echo chambers. Oh, how much worse do you think the echo chambers are going to get? Uh, going forward mm-hmm. with more technology and also now I'm, I'm looking more towards the, the further future mm-hmm. technology plus a boost in population. Right. Um, plus uh, the divisiveness that people are probably being born into right now. Yeah. Right. So you're really scaring me now. Um, yeah. I mean, the, no, so you what been, I hold you've on been to. alive long enough to have hope. Yeah, it's your middle saying, name. I, <laughs> you're I, hold on, to... <laughs> I hold on to that, though. I, so I do. I mean, I I think that... I think if we went back and you were interviewing someone 
right, 100 years before this, I think they would have looked at things that were happening at the time and thought we are destined for a horrible future. And I think it's easy to, to be in a moment and look at all the bad things that are happening and project that that's what will, that's the only thing that will grow. But the good things can grow too. And so, you know, life is yin and yang and, mm-hmm. and we end up with both of those things. And I, and I, and I do have hope. I do believe that, um, well, I guess I, I do believe that we, that there, that the world is mostly made up of good people who want to do good and want to, to be good themselves, to, to be a good person. The scary part is that technology and other things have made it even more possible for the one person or this, that tiny percentage of people who don't, who aren't good to wreak a level of havoc on the rest of the world that has never been possible in the same way. And that's scary. Okay. Um, two more things. Mm-hmm. One, we're going to play a little game. Oh, boy. All right. In your head. Get yes. there. It's The year is 2100. Yes. All right. The game is hot or not. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. America's favorite game. Game show! Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Geico. Living in 2100. Yes. Books. Like paper books? Mm-hmm. Paper books. No. Hot or not? Not. Not? Not. Really? Not right. paper books. I'm no. not going to pick it I'm hard. going on a not there. Uh, you think... Uh, hmm. I'm not going to ask rationalization. <laughs> I'm not going to ask rationalization because I'm too opinionated. Um, 2D images. Uh, like movies, television in 2D. Hot. Um, virtual reality. Yeah, hot. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with hot on that one. <laughs> I'm glad you're not asking me to justify these things. Mm-hmm. Um, television news. News, news via 2D. News via 2D. Like Meaning like you tune in and somebody says, here's news. the news. Yes. In a hundred years. Hmm. Can I be been... lukewarm instead yeah. of hot or not? <laughs> you got to be hot or not. <laughs> I'm going to go with hot then. Uh-huh. I think that people will always have a need for information and they will need some part of that information in a way that is um, that that is put, that is, uh, what's the, not pushed. But, you know, in a way that, that I don't have to go, I don't have to do much to find it, right? I flick on something and somebody says, here's the news. Celebrity. Oh, hot. Hot? Yeah. Um, yeah, th- come on. There's popular kids and not popular kids, no at, matter what. At some point, there has to be too many people. But, what <laughs> is that, but when there's too many people, what does that mean? We just, can't have celebrities? Who, I mean... The celebrity will be even more right, important when this there's is, too many people. This is, I guess this is a morbid point of view. Great. But it's my point of view towards celebrity in general. Okay. And I got it in London. 
there's seven billion of us. No one is. Who cares? You're you're a guy. You were a baby. You don't get celebrity. And then, and now, you're not understanding celebrity now. I do. I I totally. I think I get it. And I, it's not anything. I think the ego ego is. Uh, uh, ego is what? Push what the ego mean? out the door. Push the ego out the door. I don't like celebrity. I don't like the idea of no, celebrity. You, I understand that, but that doesn't... But I guess I guess it's a hard thing to quantify to a hot or not question. Well, I, I think <laughs> Popularity that, versus celebrities may be a big deal, is, yeah, is the popular, question I'm getting stuck yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that we are... The, I think the more people that are in the world and the more choice we have, the more... Celebrity and popularity matters yeah. because you want someone, somebody needs to sort through it for you. It, I mean, the, you know, there is, there's a great book, The Paradox of Choice. And it's really about the idea that we think we want lots of choice, but when presented with lots of choice, humans will always find some way to sort of arbitrarily or otherwise narrow the choice because actually too much choice is paralyzing and you want to feel like you have agency so that you have a choice, but you don't necessarily need like 62 different options for ketchup, yeah. right? So I think we are we are always looking for someone to guide us. And that personal brand, whether that's celebrity or popularity, whatever, I think that becomes even more important when the choices become more vast. So I don't have to, if I'm really overwhelmed, all I need to do is follow Jason. Scary as that might be. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last three hot or nots. Time travel. Oh, I hope it's hot. <laughs> it's not a hot or not answer. It's not yet hot. Could it be hot? Time travel. Did you, I just read something yesterday about Einstein and <laughs> the Yeah, and, 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 and the folds in the atmosphere. Yeah, you, gotta so go, I, you, have, you have to go through a black God. hole. That's the theory right now. Right. There is hot no proof not. that a man mm. can go through a black hole yet, but no, we're I'm thinking serious. about it. I mean, right. Okay. It's either going to be hot or it's a never not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's either we're either going to be there within 100 years or it ain't going to happen. I, that's not, that's, that's, you're asking me hot or not. You have to go hot or not. There's no repercussions. I'm going hot. All right, you're going hot. Uh, GMOs, genetically modified food. Uh, yeah, hot. Population size. Yeah. Uh, and gene editing. Hot. Hot, you think so? I do. Because we are, as a human race, we have not shown the ability to resist anything. temptation. Anything. anything. You're right. You're absolutely right. If it's out there, somebody's going to do it, and it's out there. People are eating Tide Pods. Mm. Um, and lastly, last question of the day, um, what do you think your day would be like waking up in 2100? You know... Are you even sleeping? I, I think it could be a whole lot like it is today with extra conveniences built in. So maybe I'm not teaching face-to-face at all, but maybe the technology to do, you know, quote, online classes is more um, individualized and I can talk to you more easily. And maybe you can, maybe I'm a hologram in the middle of, middle of your room um, you know, in wherever you take your course from. So I think the idea of me going to work, like waking up in the morning and doing yoga and, and you know, pulling myself together and then doing some job and having entertainment time with my friends. And I think the basics of that stay. I think some of those things are human, just human desires and they'll stay. How we will do it. Mm. Only 
only, I was going to say only who knows. Nobody knows. Uh, the people Great unknown. Of time will tell. Time will tell. All right. Well, that's all. And thank you very much, Sherry. You're welcome. My next guest has made a career for himself in digital marketing, working for major media brands such as CBS and runs TopPodcast.com. I often speak ill of my time as an account executive and have spent a hefty amount of time this episode trashing advertising. That being said, while I was an account executive, this man, Kurt Lawfer, was a very bright spot in an otherwise dreary place. He's a smart and successful man, and let's hear what he has to say right after a word from our sponsors. Okay, okay. I can't believe it. I've been playing four on four with a barbershop quartet. Pass the ball, pass the rock. We're open, just pass the ball. Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Yeah. Believe it, Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Yeah, uh, so Kurt Lawfer, um, graduate of Gettysburg College, um, four score and seven years ago. Um, And I've uh, basically been embedded in the digital marketing world for over 15 years, uh, both as an entrepreneur and also on the corporate side of the business. I left my entrepreneurial career... Uh, in 2012 to go work for CBS and I worked at CBS overseeing their digital sales division in Philadelphia and New York City for five years and then um, in 2016 I decided to leave to embark on a new path in the podcast industry uh, building out toppodcast.com which is a site that aggregates all the top podcasts we parse the feeds from iTunes and you can listen with one click and I also have a digital audio agency uh, that I'm focused on um, providing turnkey digital solutions across multiple publishers. So your focus is mainly in the digital realm and the podcast realm, a realm that didn't exist 20 years ago. And you said you've been in it for the last 15 years. Before that 15 years, where were you? Were you in school still, I assume? Um, so yeah, I was in school. I was, um, on the entrepreneurial path. I mean, you can basically, you know, you try and identify when did digital start? When did internet start? But yeah, you know? that's, so, that's so the thing. You look at that, you know, 2000s is when the late nineties is when the internet bubble was, um, upon us. Would and you consider yourself an early adopter? Like early to the game? I would, wouldn't say necessarily early adopter. Adapter or adapter, I would probably say that I've always been, um, you know, I was, my family was the first to get like an Atari 800 computer when we were (laughs) growing up as kids. Like my father was always into that technological things that were available because he was also an entrepreneur, a writer, and had his own business and stuff like that. What what made you decide to focus on podcasting? Uh, I looked at it as an opportunity to 
pivot from what digital has become sort of diluted. There's so many choices out there. It's a very fragmented industry with so many vendors saying they have the right solutions, this and that. And I found that the podcast industry was in sort of, even though it's been around for over a decade, because of the accessibility with smartphones and the fact that Serial in 2014 really put podcasts back on the map, I, I saw an opportunity on the digital audio side where I felt that it was a good pool to jump into early um, when I say early, yeah, you could say a decade later with podcasting, but it's still early. It's still early when it comes to the acceptable form of digital audio platform In for delivery opinion, of advertising. Podcasts are the wild west still, and it's about trying to get organized and find out how to monetize parts of it that aren't exactly the pre rolls and the listenership. We're trying to go out there. People are going the merch route. People are doing all types of things to monetize and push that medium forward. And I know the podcast is supposed to focus on 2100, but put we're going to go into the future, but we're not going to go to 2100 right now. What do you think the next couple decades of the media landscape looks like in terms of streaming, podcasting? What what are you going to, are we going to see any giants fall? Are we going to see uh, some of the digital tech companies pop up? What are you thinking? Uh, I could make see. A bold prediction. I could see the the use of the phone sort of. I don't want to say disappearing, but you know, when I say that, I mean, are we going to have smartphones, or is it going to evolve into something you wear, or is it going to evolve into you know something that's more embedded into everybody's personal essence um a comparison the, a good comparison to that is uh, there's a desk phone right in front of us right now and to even compare that to an iphone i think is a little unfair i don't have my voicemail i don't even think set up on this phone i have never checked the messages on this phone my desk phone in my office um i use this for my personal business a company called call fire that delivers the messages to my computer it's an 800 number and I use my cell phone as my primary choice of communication. I do like to use my landline with an ear set, an earpiece at my house uh, because I can multitask. And, you know, it's the third, it came with my Fios. So, nonetheless, um, you know, I, I, I see an evolution of a lot of things. One, voice search is really coming into a new age because of the evolution of smart speakers you can talk to uh, Alexa and tell her what you want to listen to the same thing will be in your car you'll talk to your dashboard um, it, voice search is going to be more important to companies rather than just traditional search and you see the investment that Google and Amazon are making into voice technology because right now they're so dependent especially Google on traditional digital SEO, where it's now going to be also voice. I, I'm excited, not excited, more worried and panicked to see, um, I'm sorry, you, I noticed that the, the cookies and how things are tracked and picked up and how psychographics and demographics are read. And I get worried with things like the facial recognition, which is popular now. Facebook's trying to get me to do it, which no, 
<laughs> no, you can't. I would not ever do that. But do you think um, the voice applications are going to have implications for marketing in the future? Tremendous uh, implications. And it could also be an invasion of privacy because as you talk about things in your house when you don't think anyone is listening, Alexa is listening to things you're talking about. Um, if you have your voice activated on your computer, I mean, Facebook can hear you. You never know the apps that and extensions you have, what data they're collecting. And you just see, um, you know, if I'm at my house in my kitchen talking about new cabinets and Alexa happens to hear the word cabinets, cabinets, they might start delivering me ads about cabinets. You know, so they're the things that I think about <laughs> on um, and, and you see what's happening with Facebook with Cambridge Analytics right Catholic, now. Yeah. It's very That's disturbing. Scary. It's yeah. disturbing because they really haven't policed the collection of data and the distribu- distribution of it. And it reminds me a little bit of like an oil spill, like the Exxon Valdez. And, you know, Exxon was responsible for cleaning that up and creating these super funds that were for the environment. I think we need to hold accountable companies like Facebook, Experian, that compromise and lose data and create these super funds to protect the integrity of data. I don't think uh, it will see anything more than a slap on the wrist to Facebook. I think it'll be the I public. disagree. I, I think, think it's the public I think that's going to decide. Tip, I think this is the tipping point with the Cambridge Analytics because there's so much anger in the Everything. and discourse in society right now, specifically with the political discourse and the silence of Facebook over the last 60 days since this was announced is um, it, it's disturbing. And the, the delivery of bots that I even have seen uh, on Instagram when you think you're getting legitimate traffic and it's fraudulent, I it's just no one has policed them. And it's I think you're going to see oversight. I think it'll be more up to the public to shame them and to, to pull off the service. I think it'll be more of that, but I think they're too big. But Because I don't see big companies toppling like that. And I guess that's just me being born into the financial crisis and just not trusting. I've never seen anyone get shut down. So that's why I have a hard time believing Facebook will get shut down. I don't think they're going to get shut down. I think you're going to see government controls that will be more stringent that make come from this compromise but who knows moving forward it'll be exciting to see what happens and what gets put in place but with that we're going to jump to the hot or not section mm-hmm. america's favorite ga- ga- game show Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15 percent or more on car insurance Geico. Are people still reading books? Are books hot or not? Paper. Yeah, I think some people are always going to want to hold something in their hands, possibly. Um, It depends on the technology evolution that will you have an earpiece that will be a part of your glasses. Yeah, will will, you you be able to look at a book and comprehend it? Or 
consumption habits, though. It comes down to what are the millennials, how are they evolving? Are they listening to Audible or are they going to still want to read a book? It comes down to the younger generation and the habits that they acquire that will determine how that all plays out. I can't predict how it'll play out because it's all going to be based on how that generation and the younger generations that are being born today, what are they introduced to? If they're not introduced to a newspaper, it took me a while to get away from a newspaper and to use my iPad. And now I use my iPad exclusively. We'll jump to uh, 2D video news. Two people sitting at a desk, like television, that style of broadcasting news. Uh, hot or not in the year 2100 will you be to get the news will you sit down and watch people read it live off of a teleprompter I think that will still be a part of some delivery I don't know the capacity of how that will look as far as ratings but maybe they'll figure out a way to do the news without advertisements and fix the right. news. Or we're, we're, again, it, how are the millennials or the even people being born today are going to consume? Or are they going to still have the same habits? I don't know. I think that's how that's what everything relies around. But um, the notion of celebrity, hot or not, in two thousand one hundred, hot. Okay. Time travel. Not hot. Not hot. VR. Hot. Still? You think it makes it to 2,100? Oh, no. Virtual reality. Oh, virtual reality. Um, I think it'll be hot. Yeah, I think it'll be so advanced by then it won't even be recognized as it'll what be, we consider VR yeah. right now. Yeah. I think that's going to get to the point where it's not the clunky goggles with your phone in it. I think they're going right. to end up eventually getting it really, really right. I've seen a lot of uh, the new advancements when they... Have you seen they put you in an omnidirectional... Um, treadmill okay and then they put a helmet over your head and they put sensors all over your body and they give you a gun like something yeah. that feels like a gun and you'll go through a war simulation and they're starting to train in the military with things like that i think it's going to be like a contact lens too or something that's going to have a techni- technological way of being more again embedded in the fabric of a person's body i don't want to say you're going to plug something into your brain or like a GPS system. That you don't think people are going to be plugging stuff into their brains? I don't know. In the year, I think it was 2017, um, a factory in Wisconsin, I brought this up earlier in the episode, a factory in Wisconsin um, was implanting chips into their employees under their discretion so that they could clock in, clock out, and use the vending machine. You don't think, for, for as minimal of a benefit as the company vending machine is, people are implanting chips. Yeah, I don't know if people are going to want that kind of tracking. It, I think it all comes down to privacy. I, we'll see, but I'm not, I'm not sold on that. You're not. Um, but we're going to jump right to the, to the ending. The year is 2100. You're still Kurt Offer. I don't know how old you are. I don't know where you live. But in the, in the scenario, you can be as old as you want any point in time in your life. The year is 2100. You wake up. What are you seeing? What are you doing? Um, I think I think corporate's going to look a lot different. I think it's going to be more of a remote world. There are going to be way less jobs because there's going to be so much consolidation thanks to automation and technology. 
and if we do have actually, um, we'll have offices, but it's going to be, a, it's going to look a lot different. You're not going to have nearly as many bodies. You'll probably have half as many people who have to go into work and you're going to have the ability to do things with video share apps and every, there will be a camera on every corner in a room and it'll be that kind of atmosphere rather than, you know, offices with rent, things of that nature. So you think it'll pretty much restructure the entire civilization? I, yeah, I, yeah, I could see a complete restructuring of how that looks. Now, I don't know if that's going to be 2100. That might be 2300. But, you know, because you're not going to have people... What I what I what I usually say to guests, and I don't, I, I have not said it to you, is I tell them to imagine the year nineteen hundred, and then imagine two thousand, and then imagine yeah. you're at like nineteen fifteen, yeah. and imagine two thousand one hundred. What you just said is probably the most accurate depiction of the year two thousand one hundred, and it's that relates to what I think. the The focus on remote. And uh, the lack of rent and going into offices, I think that'll you'll see weird things on the side happen. Like your house and rent for where you live is going to be a lot more expensive because office real estate's going to be so much less. And you see a pretty much an entire restructuring of culture and the economy over time. Correct. And you're going to be able to work in D.C. and live in New York because your commute time will be, you know, a half hour if the tube system comes into place that. Uh, uh, the owner Boring of Tesla company, Elon yeah, Musk, yeah. is creating because that tube system is just like depositing a slip at the bank and it shoots you from one demographic to the next city and that will be tra- uh, trans- that will transform yeah. how people actually and honestly work in, in, in that, we're in 2018 right now by the time 2070 rolls around maybe the tubes are even obsolete Maybe no. uh, I, as a form of transportation, I think that'll be the new subway. I, I mean, it'll be all tube based, and the new trains. They'll be. Yeah, you think you think that it's that? It, yeah, it's uh, that powerful of a transport I, mode. I believe it's powerful, and I and I, and I think it has a lot of practical ap- applications. But I think the transition to it's going to be slow, and I think safety is going to be the main thing that holds it back. Agreed. Yeah, but but other than that. I'd like to thank you for coming on the show. Yeah. Oh. Very uh, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and I say, hey, you are the wonderful kind of day where you can learn to work and play. And get along with each other And I say, hey You are the wonderful kind of day Where you can learn to work and play And get along with each other I'm gonna love life till I'm done growing up And when I'm going down, I'ma go down Swinging my still smiling and my heart still singing Three guests down, two more to go in this next interview, I talk with Professor Rob McKenzie and Professor Patricia Kennedy, Pat Kennedy. Um, Rob is the only reason that this podcast exists. 
Rob actually had me, uh, he was the reason I got on radio in the first place in 2013, 2014, when I began with 90.3 WESS uh, with my radio show Rightfully Wrong, which was a lot worse than this, Um, but it was an amazing time. We actually won an MTVU Woody Award for Best College Radio Station, which is still written on my resume, and uh, no... Uh, I can't thank them enough for coming on as well. They they both gave me their time when they were in a time crunch. Um, Rob McKenzie, oddly enough, he fired me. I was his TA, and he fired me because I uh, left the class out early when he was in Toronto, I believe, is what I did as a freshman and as an 18-year-old freshman. Uh, but that was a learning experience, and Rob grew to forgive or forget completely and he had me on his radio show to speak about my book and he actually read it and he was so kind and I I can't thank them enough for sharing their perspectives as well. One of my favorite things about um, this episode is the diversity of guests. Adam in the beginning was essentially a media journalist. He sits and he speaks to directors and actors. Sherry is a professor but she grew up in um, production and children's media, PBS, stuff like that. Then Kurt, who's a digital marketing specialist, CBS, and podcasts. Now it's uh, Rob McKenzie, who's more of a journalism and radio background. And um, Pat Kennedy, who who comes from a law background, actually, and teaches communication. So that's why everyone's perspective is a little different, even though they're all in the same field. And I, I think that's something really valuable about the people that we talked to on a serious note. So... Without further ado, Rob, take it away. Well, my focus when I was teaching was mostly in the broadcasting concentration. And so I would teach classes that were typical for my regular teaching load, like I would teach voice for broadcasting, I would teach broadcast journalism, I would teach broadcast management, I would teach radio practicum. But since that time, and I think since you were here, I became elected department chair. Ah. So I'm in my fourth year of that. And mostly what I do now is I wouldn't call it administrative. I would call it organizational stuff for the department. So, for example, we just got a master's degree approved, and that's going to be starting this summer if we have the enrollment. So that's where I would say my focus is now. Okay. How about you, Pat? And before I retired, uh, I also have a law degree and a Ph.D. in communication. So I spent 20 years actively practicing law before I went back at 50 to start my Ph.D. program. And I came here to ESU in 2005. Before that, I was at Clarion University for uh, four years. And then I did my Ph.D. at Syracuse University's Newhouse School, which is where I also got my law degree. So big surprise, one of the things I teach or taught was communication law. I also taught broadcast management. Uh, Rob got me into that because I did a lot of management um, in my previous life. Uh, Research, theory, public speaking, and I considered myself to be sort of the utility player because most of the things that were available, I would get a yeah, chance you're picking to up, teach. Picking up the That's scraps. Right. But she, the she, thing... ended, she ended up teaching nothing that we hired her for. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she was very good at it. And I also taught uh, one class called Genres of Rhetoric, but I taught it as an environmental communication class. Yeah. That's my real passion. Yeah, you have to do what you have to do. Um, so you guys have been in the field a decent amount of time. Can you guys give me one example of how media has changed in just the amount of time that you have gotten involved with it? 
you know, the most profound change that I'm looking at right now, which we talk a lot about in the class, critical perspectives on social media use, is how social media have completely re-engineered our relationships. And specifically, what social media have done is they have taken people's personal, private relationships and have made them public now. So they make them public by people's connection to networks. When you have a when you have a Yahoo Mail account that gives you access to a particular network of connections just within that. If you're belonging to Facebook, Twitter, etc., those are networks. Some of these networks communicate with each other. For example, Facebook can post to Twitter, etc. But now what you have is a complete transformation of the private life being made public. So it could be something as innocent as a husband posts on his Facebook account to his wife, great time last night at Flood's restaurant. You know, that's not something that you would have known unless you had been living next door to them and gone next door and you said, what did you do last night? Now all of that becomes public as well as somebody going through cancer, giving us their photographs from the hospital, somebody going through a divorce, somebody revealing something about depression with one of their children. All of this has become part of public knowledge. And I think we're still trying to understand what that means. Do you think that that has – oh, so we've all, we're figuring out how it means. So you have no – input on whether it's positive or negative? Well, I have a general feeling that I'm trying to fight because the feeling is that it's not positive, but I don't want to be one of these people, especially being in my field, that always looks back at the good old days and talks about how, you know, we had it much better before you guys, before (laughs) all this technology. So I'm fighting that, but I don't think that it's healthy for a society. I think it encourages hedonism and narcissism. And I think we already have a lot of that because capitalism is an ideology. Is that's the way it encourages people to communicate with each other is to you know to sell yourself all the time and to even our sentence structure. You begin your sentences with "I" in America far more than any other country. So I I, I don't think it's healthy overall. That's fair, and I wouldn't even accuse you of believing in the myth of the good old days because. Mm-hmm. Uh, people my age feel that. I feel that. I feel contempt towards things like social media and they were things that – I don't like to say that uh, I I was born with the social media. People my age, specifically my exact age, 22, grew up with the media. We went from Game Boys to all the stuff we have now. We had the bad iPods. We had the bad MP3 players and we watched it go from – I had a CD player. I uh, and then I had the bad MP3 player and now my phone is all of those things. Uh, how about yourself? Do you have any great examples of transition or change in your field? Well, I have always been a news junkie, and I've been a newspaper reader since I was four. That's how my in my family. That's before I was a reader. Reader. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, in my family, that's how we were introduced. You know, other than uh, fairy tales and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. But you started reading the newspaper. And when I was getting ready to go to college during high school, I'm the oldest of eight kids. And so my family was saying, if you don't get scholarships, you're not going. So, you know, because there's a lot of you. And um, my grandfather was the principal of Brooklyn High School of Automotive Trades. And he had me reading the New York Times book review and saying, this is the best essay writing in America. You read this stuff, you learn how to write, and you learn how to read, and you learn how to be critical of other people's reading. So newspapers, newspapers, newspapers for me. I go off to, and radio, I mean, I've always been a radio girl too, but I go off to get my PhD 
in communication. And I realize that newspapers, the number of newspapers are shrinking. And that was, I started that program in 1998. Okay, so by the time I leave in 2001, only three years later, the number of newspapers in this country has radically gone down. And and with each year, they go down, and they go down, and they go down until now, you know, <laughs> every month or so, we hear that either a newspaper is dying or it's being cut back because they can't monetize anymore. The consolidations, too. In the way that they used to do that. And there used to be rules that prohibited certain radio stations, television stations, and newspapers in a particular market being owned by the same owner, but that's all changed too. Uh -huh. So in addition to this problem, I totally agree with what Rob's looking at. What does it mean as far as privacy is concerned? What does it mean of how we focus on ourselves and how we focus on others. Where's community? Where's the part where we do things for others? I see that changing very much. But I also see the search for what's true. Oh, that's the biggest issue in the world right now is, yeah. is finding out the truth. And I think that it's something that's never addressed you never learn about lying in school. You learn briefly about it through through picture books, but you don't understand. People don't understand that anyone could lie, whether it's the people telling information to the media, the media, or a transfer in between there. And that's a lot of the fake news issues that we're seeing now. And the consolidation of radio stations is the, the consolidation and shutting down of radio stations and also um, newspapers. And even television to a point where you can list what Viacom owns in a long cavalcade and the difference that it makes in quality. It, I, I, I completely empathize and understand that. Earlier today, I think you were talking about the college radio station at one of the at Temple. You can talk you about it. We, I'm, I'm graduate. I have my uh, diploma. I can talk about it. That has gone essentially all online and the whole um, growth of things like the cheer clear channel where everything was being owned and there was no actually person in the radio station so you would have a car a train crash in the town and there was nobody there to cover it and put it on the news i mean all of that was happening as i was training to be a communication professional and it's happening even more okay so now you take your cell phone and the train crash happens and you're right there and you put it out to your network, and it eventually gets to other networks. But did it really happen? Was there really a train crash? I mean, how do I know that? And it's it's not verifiable. Well, what is verifiable? There's... And who, who has the jurisdiction to verify now? And I think that's our big issue. How do we determine the credibility of any information that we're getting? I would phrase it this way. I, I don't think there's any more fake news out there than there has ever been. I just think that it's been branded that way by the master of brandsmanship, brandspersonship, Donald Trump. And I think that it's stuck with people. But the skills that are what has really gone away is the ability to discern what is good news, bad news, false news true news and that's what we're i, I had i had students in my class today I, I gave a public i had a public speaking class student gave a speech on why you should eat chicken nuggets 
And, <laughs> and he gave you this. Should not. <laughs> and he talked about rankings of the various restaurants that sell chicken nuggets. So he was saying, believe it or not, Chick fil A is number three. Believe it or not, McDonald's is second. Wendy's is number one. I agree. I agree. But not McDonald's. Okay. Ahead, so ahead, afterwards, there was this huge discussion, like more robust than Donald Trump or anything else, crime on campus. And I finally raised my hand. I said, when is somebody going to say, where do these rankings come from? We can't trust your information. We haven't heard a single thing about the source of these rankings or what their vested interests are. This kind of thing is what people are not looking for right now. I so agree. we can't have the ability to discern what is really fake news. It's because anyone can buy the domain name chickennuggets.com and then put the t- top 10 out there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, people can screenshot it and put it on Twitter, screenshot it, put it on Facebook. So this morning I read an article in the New York Times that links to their upshot section of the Times, which is usually based on data that you get often from Nate Cohen from 538 and some of his buddies. And Silver. Sorry, Nate Silver. And it was a study that had been done that said if you splitting up people who are black and white and saying rich black boys and rich white boys do not all end up being rich. And it was a very clever graphic showing what happened to who ends up in the upper middle class, who ends up being poor, even if you start out being rich, and the percentages. Really good. And I say to myself, because one of my grandchildren is biracial African-American, who's black and who's white in this country? Who were they? Were they counting somebody like my grandson? I mean, where's the, di- how did they do that? Who are these people? <laughs> and there was a link in the article if I wanted to go back to the actual study and see how it was operationalized. But if I didn't do that digging, I don't know how they figured out this claim. Okay, so now I say to people having read this story, hey, look what's happening in America. Even if you are rich to start out with, if your skin color is dark, you might not end up there. And other young men like you who are white, they're going to end up still being rich in large percentages. Well, maybe I'm not right about that. What exactly did they mean? Are they talking about people who came from India whose skin is dark? Um, Who are are these people they're measuring? Yeah, I think most people are... Get moving away from these categories. I mean, so many people are multiracial. Exactly. But it wasn't so much about the black and white. It was about where's the sources for the boxes we yeah. put people mm-hmm. in, the categories. Is there, yeah, is everyone in. taking a 23andMe test? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. So these are the skills that we're lacking in today. That's why we have our field mm-hmm. to try and teach students the ability to drill down into information make sense of it. Yeah, media literacy is extremely important. But exactly. I'm going to jump and because I know we're limited on time here. Uh, take your minds. Take them to the year 2100. Think about the year 2000. Now go 100 years after that. And then I ask you to also use uh, 1900. So that's what I always say. You think of it as 1900, 2000, and 2100. Think of the vast world of differences between 1900 and 2018. Now imagine a similar scale into the future. And we're going to play a playful little game of Hot or Not. America's favorite g- g- game show! Geico. 15 minutes could
could save you 15% or more on car insurance. 2100! Geico. Okay, hot or not, 2100. Paperback books. Collector's items. So hot as collector's items, but not as everybody having one. I'm totally biased on this one. I'm writing a book right now that I, <laughs> that I have engineered for the internet age, and it's destroying the idea of reading a book by chapter, and it's destroying the idea of reading a book in chronology from beginning to end. My book is designed to be read backwards, forwards, pick up, random. So I'm going to say hot if the book can adopt the new method of reading from by the internet reader. Admittedly, when I wrote my book, the same exact thing mm-hmm. to keep in mind, something you could leave next to your toilet, read a poem, go, ha ha, mm-hmm. put down, read an excerpt, mm-hmm. get sad. <laughs> uh, um, hot or not, 2D images. <laughs> Just looking at 2D mm-hmm. images. I don't see 3D right now. Advanced, hot. Advanced. Hot. I'm going to say not. You're going to say not? Yeah. I don't uh, see 3D as advancing anywhere beyond what they thought it was going to do, which is in a movie theater for a few select films. Oh, it's 2D, like regular pictures. That's images. what I'm saying. So because 3D is not advancing, 2D is going to be hot. Okay. I thought you said not. Okay. Uh, uh, sorry. Sorry, hot. Uh, yeah, I see that as hot. Mm-hmm. Say for the same reason that we see certain kinds of paintings in museums, you know, that are a thousand years old. But that interests me on your not to books. Yeah, well, I said they might become collector's <laughs> items. Okay, uh, I'll go to you, hot or not, VR. I think that's probably going to be hot. Now, I'm somebody who reads things... Uh, I've got four minutes. Okay. Uh, like um, Altered Carbon, the, movie, the TV show that's mm-hmm. come out, I read uh, him when they were books where you could <laughs> not just change reality by what you were looking at virtually, but essentially you could download your consciousness into a little thing that you could put in the back of your head and then change your body into uh-huh. a different new sleeve. So I could use Rob's body if we <laughs> wanted to change over. So right virtual now. It's, it's really tired right now. Well, virtual I'm going to jump reality. back and forth. Yours is VR. Now I'm going to jump to you because we're limited on time. VR? Uh, not VR. She, she did VR. We're going to skip back and forth rather than you okay. both doing both. Um, celebrity. I gotta say hot, not for the right reasons. <laughs> Pat, um, television news or streaming news. 2D, two people sitting down at a desk explaining the news. Not. Time travel, Rob. Question mark. No, no question marks allowed. This is the hot seat, hot or well, not. Well, deci- you have to decide whether it's possible, and I can't decide that, so I'll say not. Um, GMOs. Perfect for you. Yeah, um, it sure looks like almost everything's going to be GMO, but there's going to be, you know, the hippie group that's going to be saying, no, we don't want it. Um, it'll become some... 
food that doesn't have GMO in it is going to be something like caviar. It's going to cost a lot of money for us to have it. Okay. And from that, the end of uh, Hot or Not, I'll ask Rob one more question and let him run. And then I'll ask you the same question. Your life. Imagine it. What you're at, any age you want. Any age you want. You wake up and it's January 1st, 2100. What is your life like? I think it's more crammed with communication than ever before. I think it's very difficult to grab your own personal private space without being disturbed by any of the multitudinous means that people can get in touch with you with today. So you see the technology expanding and not retracting back. You see it all – you just see an all-out burst. Well, I just see devices driving – driving people's behaviors and I see the communication device, whether it's the phone, the internet, the tablet, computer, voicemail, email, etc. It's just, it's expanded into our lives. There's very little quiet time anymore. Okay. Uh, how about yourself? You're any age you would like. The year is 2100. What is the day like? Well, I spent a lot of my 20s being a hippie up in the woods. So um, I kind of imagined that I might try to do that again because like Rob says, I think we will experience yeah. that. The um, book on campus that dealt with the whole idea of invasive internet behavior where people had, where they were taking pictures of you doing everything. So even if you wanted privacy, it was very hard to get it. I kind of picture myself still trying to find that place where privacy is available as the oceans rise around me. As the oceans rise around me. Something bad is about to happen to me. I don't know what, but I feel it coming. Might be so sad, might leave my nose running. I just hope she don't want to Media, media, media. I, I hope everyone enjoyed all five of our guests, all with diverse points of view, different ideas, all from different backgrounds. And I'm happy to have a, a, an episode full of real professionals and uh, being able to give this point of view to the people of 2100 on a scholarly level. Um, as for my opinions, I worry about f things on the side of the consumer when it comes to media, like consumer options. I worry about net neutrality and then the segmentation of um, streaming platforms. I just don't see the um, business model as, as, as viable moving into the future. Um, but to be honest, that, that, that kind of sticks with my whole idea of the 2100 idea. I think the monetary system is 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 the big the big question mark in humanity's sight but i don't think it'll get addressed for at least another 20 30 years so like 2050 2060 that's when we'll really start talking about how the monetary system is strangling creativity and forcing homelessness and killing people and that maybe capitalism might not be the smartest but whatever it it works for now and i'm not dying you know one of those, like, how, why am I complaining? At least I can do this and make a living 
doing what I want and I could go to college and I was privileged enough. But um, things have to change regardless. I, I, uh, you'll, you'll understand why, why I'm bummed in the future. Um, I started recording um, for this episode that's going to be really sad and it's going to come out in a few weeks. But uh, so that's kind of got me bummed and in the dumps. And talking about media often brings me to the dumps because it's, it's often talking about why things like the Big Bang Theory can thrive and like the, the psychology behind things like uh, The Bachelor and like The League. Like it should, but that's me being hypercritical and overthinking, etc. But we wouldn't have this podcast if I wasn't overthinking my existence. So with that, I'll say um, with with the media, I am technically part of the media, but I'm barely in the door. I got to wait till someone opens that door for me, whether it's one of those five people you just heard in this episode or someone I'm yet to even meet. But I'm happy to be the choice of media that you decided to listen to today, whoever is listening. So uh, special thanks to our um, our sponsor, of course, our very real sponsor who's paying me tons of money for this episode, Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Uh, also special thanks to Ben Volano for the music as well as... The Bugles, uh, John Baptiste, Ziggy Marley, Chance the Rapper, Stephen Colbert, and The Daily, not The Daily Show, The Late Show, uh, Steve Lacey, and uh, Sharif Muhammad for helping me make the Hot or Not theme song. And special thanks to go across the pond to my buddy Adam Stevens, also to Kurt Lawfer, uh, Pat Kennedy, Sherry Hope Culver, and Rob McKenzie. Thank you very much for listening. Please like, subscribe, and share this with people so that people listen, you know, because the people of 2019, if they support this enough, there will be a second season. OK. And so to the people of 2100, if there is no second season, it's because there was no following and <laughs> no one, no one cared. Um, but thank you. Thank you very much. My name is Jason Peters. Happy 2100. Oh, Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% more on car insurance.